Skull Rock Podcast is brought to you by the generosity of the following companies. Sure, sound extraordinary. To podcasters, recording musicians, and streamers who are looking for studio quality audio at home or on the road, the Sure MV7 Podcast Kit is a premium all-in-one solution inspired by the legendary Shure SM7B and is designed to address the versatility required by modern creators. For more on the Shure MV7 podcast kit, visit shure.com, S-H-U-R-E.com, or click the link in our show notes. Shure, sound extraordinary. And by The Old Mill Press, publishing beautifully crafted books that illuminate our world. To learn more, visit theoldmillpress.com. And by listeners like you. This is animator Randy Cartwright, and you are listening to the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, El John Go and Dave Bossert. Welcome to Skull Rock Podcast, the show about all things Disney and pop culture. Every week, we take you behind the scenes of some of your favorite Disney films theme park attractions, performances, books, music, as well as what's streaming, what's in theaters, and what's going on in the universe of entertainment. Hello, Al John Go here, longtime Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, and pop culture fan, and you can email me, aljohn, A-L-J-O-N, at skullrockpodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Well, Al John, I got to tell you, my voice is a little (laughs) gravelly. Uh, it has been a long, long, busy week. Mm-hmm. I have to tell you, you know, this, this past, uh, last Wednesday, uh, I was at a Roger rabbit, 35th anniversary reunion at yeah. the Tamil Shanter. Oh, the Tamil Shanter, yes. which is such a great location. You know, it's yes. one of Walt Disney's old haunts. Uh, so you always run into people when you go there, and I certainly did. Nice. Um, and that was a lot of fun. We 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 had a, a great time. It was great seeing a lot of uh, folks I had worked with on that picture, uh, and just catching up and uh, having a few laughs and and breaking some bread, and uh, it was fun. I love it. I love and, it. And by the way, I was there, and I was chatting with somebody who worked on the movie, and their daughter was there who works in the industry. Okay. And she's working on Planet of the Apes 4. <laughs> hey. And I, you know, I got it. I I said I haven't seen anything about that in the trades. I'm sure there's been something. And, you know, and she was like, "Yeah, it's it's known. It's known. It's in production." And I just haven't seen anything about it, but I was super excited. You I know, because too. the last three Planet of the Apes films, you know, with Caesar you yep. know, Return of Caesar and all yep. of that. I, yep. I they were fantastic. Uh, you know, I have been a longtime <laughs> Planet of the Apes fan since the very beginning. Charlton Heston, the all first the one, back, yeah, Dr. the classic, Zayas, all the classic ones, yeah, up to the new ones. And I really, really enjoy those movies. I really do. Oh, I I do too. I've seen every one of them. In fact, I I've seen them multiple times. In fact, yeah. I can remember one year there was a Planet of the Apes marathon on Thanksgiving Day. Love those. And 
Nancy practically divorced me because I was watching them all. Yeah. You know, um, I'm a big science fiction fan. So, you know, when those things come on like Annie or whatever, and they play the entire box set of the films, you know, Kristen's like, <laughs> we've seen this before. And I said, I know, but it's so good. It's yeah. just good science fiction. So here it is. Planet of the Apes four story details. T Caesar's lasting influence. It's really at least a plan to release in 2024, Dave. Kingdom yeah, of the Planet and, of the Apes. And, and you know, it, it, it's in post-production, but you know, every yeah. single scene is a an effect scene because yeah. you know they're doing motion capture mm-hmm. with actors, right? Yeah. yeah. And then putting in all the CG uh uh you know apes. Yeah. So yeah, and it's I, a, I, and it's a yeah. Disney property now too because you know 20th Century Fox right. released the film, so now I guess they're doing it, but it's going to be set in the same continuity apparently. So yeah, I'm I'm super excited. I was thrilled to hear that there's another one in the pipe. Yeah. Uh, so that that you know it was just a busy busy week and yeah, yeah. Uh, seeing a lot of people and as you can imagine, running into all these folks, I've been booking people as guests to come on our show. How exciting. I can't wait. I'm excited. I am too. You know, we've got, we've always have some great guests and Dave, you know, you go out there, you do these, these different media events and signings and different things and run into a lot of people. And that's, what's great about this show is that, you know, we have such a great uh, depth of, of, of guests to pull from. And it's all because of your, your time in the industry working that. And uh, we love it. Um, I sit back as a fan and listen. So it's, it's a lot of fun. So I, I'm, yeah. I'm excited. Well, before we get into more of what you've been doing um, busily uh, doing this week, uh, let's talk about our guest this week, Rick Farmelo, back on the show for round yeah, two. This is, yeah, this is a second uh, second interview with Rick Farmelo. He's the best, isn't he? He's so cool. Yeah, you know, he's really terrific. He's an industry veteran, uh, and I'm really looking forward to talking to him and getting his insights. I love it. And and a rocker at heart, and I love that about him. So Yeah, uh, he he is like the rock and roller of the animation business. <laughs> Certainly, man. He's got the <laughs> rose-tinted glasses and everything. I love it. Um, so we'll talk about that, and uh, we also have a lot of great news. But uh, you did a live stream this past week. Yes. Thank you for reminding me. So, yeah. you know, Wednesday I went to this reunion at the Tamil Shanter. And then on Thursday I did a Facebook live, which by the way was recorded. So it's living on Facebook. You could, you know, people can go find it mm-hmm. on Facebook, but I did that with Neil Cantor, uh, who owns uh, the wonderful world of animation. And uh, the episode was all about who framed Roger Rabbit. And uh, we were telling stories and uh, just, you know, I, I was talking about my experiences working on the film and and what a great team of people it was to work with. That's awesome. I think that's great kind of insight uh, as we explore. And there there are episodes where we've had people on the show, as we alluded to before, talking about who framed Roger Rabbit. I think that's just such a it's such a quintessential film, uh, you know, with this golden age. When I say golden age, I guess it's the Renaissance, the Disney Renaissance, as it were, and it's just I don't know if there'll ever be a film like this again, just because it's so it's literally the Avengers Endgame of animated films, I think, because there's yeah, so many it, characters it, in it. Yeah, I, uh, I, you know, look, uh, it, it was a complex film to do to begin with. Yep. Uh, and, and I'm going to talk about this uh, in our picks of the week. 
because I rewatched the film last week. Oh, yeah. Uh, nice. Yeah. And, you know, as I do, whenever these kinds of reunions and things pop up, because by watching a film that you worked on, all those memories flood back. Yeah. You see those scenes that you worked on that they, they spark other memories. You start thinking about people you were interacting with and, you know, and those, those stories kind of flood back from your memory banks. Yeah. I love that. It's uh, nostalgic and I'm glad that you can look back on it and have fond memories uh, of the project. It seems like every time we talk about who framed Roger rabbit, you, you perk up a little bit. So. I, you know, I have to tell you, uh, of all the films I worked on, that one just bubbles to the surface from the standpoint it was a great experience. Nice. And the fact that it was a very international crew that worked on that film. Uh, I have friends all over the world because of that movie. Uh, so there's a lot of fond memories. That's awesome. Well, we look forward to exploring more of that in the weeks to come here on the show uh, because it's celebrating anniversary it's hard to believe that it's been out, what, uh, 35 years? 35 years last Thursday. Unbelievable. Was when it was released. Unbelievable. June, June 22nd. Mm, unbelievable. Crazy. Uh, last but not least, uh, did you allude to this historian's conference that you, you attended? Well, I, you know something? I, I, I was at a conference all day on Saturday uh -huh. at Cal Arts. Oh, yeah. But the leadership of the conference said, don't post any pictures on social media and don't talk about it. It's like top secret. Oh, okay. So it's so, like Fight so Club. So all I'm going to say is that it was a historian's conference, but I can't tell you any more than that. Okay. I see. I, I see what it in is. In fact, I probably told you too much. Oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> CalArts, don't send don't send the guards for me. Don't do it. Don't do it. The first thing about CalArts Club is we don't talk about CalArts Club. So let's not talk about but, it. But it was great because I ran into a lot of people I hadn't seen in a while. And, you know, there were there were a lot of uh, uh, colleague, former colleagues and uh, a lot of uh, uh, authors who've written a lot of fabulous books. And it was a lot of fun. Well, that's good, man. Well, I, I'm glad you're able to reconnect with the old crew, the old band, as it were, uh, yeah. reuniting. So that's always a lot of fun. And then it looks like we also have something you can mention by way of Skull Rock Podcast. Answers your email. You know, uh, over the last week we had Joe Lane Cicero on, uh, which was an amazing show. And yeah, you and, to get some and, and by the way, Joe and I have been trading emails because he's he's uh, he was out of town, I think, for like six or eight weeks okay. out of the country. And uh, he's back and we're going to we're we're, we're going to land more dates with him because we we have multiple shows to do with him. We're going to do a show just talking about the cruise line. We're going to oh, do a show talking about Hong Kong Disneyland. We're going to do a oh, show yeah. on Tokyo Disneyland. So, uh, yes. uh, I'm excited to have <laughs> Joe back on. And, and by the way, I got a lovely, lovely email from Don Hahn, our friend who's been on this show four or five times God, yeah, he's uh, a vet. and we're going to have him back. That's right. But, uh, Don sent me a lovely email and he said, love the Joe Lancis interview. Yes. Yeah. So, so Don listened to it and, and really enjoyed it. Well, very good. I think that that's awesome. And, and what, you know, you will wind Joe up and he just is able to just go on and on. And, and that's what we fans we love to hear are these wonderful well, stories. And that's what we love too, because yeah. you, you get a guest on, you want them to talk. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, so I love it. Well, we're looking forward to having Joe back on. He's just uh, so prolific with his work, especially, you know, with parks and, 
and doing all these development uh, deals for the park. So I can't wait. So having said that, Dave, here we are with this week. I think I got my sound effects working this week. Okay, maybe not. I don't have my sound effects working. It kind of came across really lame just then. Yeah, I, don't know what's I, going I, on I heard it. a little bit of it. Okay, so yeah, let's just uh, let's not and say we did play the sound okay. effect. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, what, what are your picks for this week? What did you watch? Well, you know something? I did not have a chance to actually go out to the movie theater, which I really missed. Uh, it was just such a busy week. But I did watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit on Disney Plus. Okay. And man, it, it just holds up after 35 years. Doesn't you it? know, yes. in fact, when I was at the reunion, I told somebody I had watched it a few days before and, and they said, well, you know, it holds up, doesn't it? And I said, you know something? It really holds up. Well, I, I saw maybe three or four scenes in there where you could just go in with the digital technology and just stabilize a few things. Mm-hmm. But other than that, that movie after 35 years and the fact that it wasn't done with computer technology really holds up and it is so good. And every time I see it, you know, the, the writing was so smart and yeah. so funny. And there's so many little, uh, uh, you know, dialogue phrases that are hilarious that just go by sometimes. Uh-huh. And, and if you're not paying attention, you miss it. You know, yeah. there's all kinds of innuendo and and, and stuff in there. And, and it, it, it was just terrific rewatching it. And as I said earlier, lots of memories flooded back from working on that project in London. That's awesome. You know, it's interesting. You know, I, I have a little nostalgia that I'm going to talk about here in just a little bit. But it's great how these old films hold up. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about the difference between this and something like chip and dale's rescue rangers that was uh, recently released on disney plus and how the the hand done animation in who framed roger rabbit is just it's just so well done it's just so well done even with all the tools at our disposal in this day and age you go back and go man that is just like it's a it's a awesome work it's like sergeant peppers right Versus something that's done now, right? It's just, it's so good. And, and, and look, I agree with you. And, and the thing I would say is what really uh, I think makes that picture work is the integration of the animated characters into the live action environment. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the the lighting of the characters, reflections of the characters, you know, in shiny surfaces and, you know, things that when you're watching it, you don't normally focus on, but if they weren't there, you'd feel something was missing. Right. But having all of that integrated, you know, uh, elements to integrate those characters into the scene, it feels right. Yeah. The shadows, light balance, <clears throat> everything about it, just surfaces, you know, textures and things. It's, it's, it does come alive and it's not like the new film, uh, like Chip and Dale didn't, but it, you know, I guess it's just a day and age of them putting out content and really in not necessarily taking the most time on it. And I'm not saying that you guys weren't under a lot of pressure to deliver who framed Roger rabbit on time because, but uh, man, it's just, it's just a different, it's just different. 
It feels good, yeah. Dave. It just like, anyway. I'll I'll, yeah. I'll stop watching. No, no, it, it does it. feel good. And and you're right with like Chippendale Rescue Rangers. There's there's things missing that make it feel like it's color forms. You know, you're just slapping a character onto a live plate. You know, but you're doing the minimal amount of integration. Uh, whereas with Roger Rabbit, it was the maximum amount of integration. Uh, and that's what makes it work. That uh, that is absolutely why that movie holds up so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, making things better doesn't necessarily have to cost a whole lot more. You just have to take the time to make it better. Yeah, right. and you got to know what you're doing. You have to know what you're uh, doing. Okay, I'm so, sorry. Go uh, ahead. Dave. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so after watching Roger Rabbit, um, I did uh, have a chance to watch the first episode of Secret Invasion on Disney Plus with yeah. uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Yes. Uh, I actually liked it, uh, but again, you know, it's that first episode kind of thing. There's a little of a, a bit of a slog through. Mm. Uh, I I really wish they would drop like the first two episodes when they do this. I wish they I did really, too. I realize there's only six episodes, but just drop the first two for crying out loud. Um, But I'm looking forward to watching more of that. Uh, I watched the season finale of High Desert with uh, Roseanne Arquette uh, on um, Apple Plus. Yes. Um, I am also continuing to watch uh, Platonic on Apple Plus with uh, Seth Rogen. Uh, hilarious show. Love, love the show. Um, he plays a real quirky character. Um, and, and by the way, I said Roseanne Arquette. It's Patricia Arquette Patricia, in Patricia. High Desert. Matt Dillon. It's a great cast. High Desert. I highly recommend it. Again, I said a few weeks ago, it's a quirky show. I like quirky. Uh, I think if you like quirky, you're going to love High Desert. Check it out on Apple Plus. Uh, same with Platonic. Um, I'm continuing to watch Happy Valley Season 3 on Acorn TV. There you go. Uh, what a great show this is. Okay. Really great. I highly recommend it. I love it. And then believe it or not, Al John, I watched the first episode of The Walking Dead Dead City. <laughs> you beat me. <laughs> and, and, and even and even though I haven't really watched any of the other Walking Dead series uh-huh. that are out there, I got right into this. Yeah. And I, you know, they they give a, a tiny bit of flashback backstory to the characters. Yeah. You know, but it's zombies. Yeah, it's New York City. Yes, it's craziness. Right. (laughs) And I I don't know. I I enjoyed it. Yeah, very good. I'm glad you did. Uh, I love the characters a lot. A fan of the comic book. Definitely a fan of the series and all of uh, its iterations. I think Chris and I have seen every single spinoff of it. And we look forward to seeing this now. I think we're going to end up seeing it uh, later tonight. So it's going to be great. And uh, I can't wait to see it. I'm glad that you like it, Dave. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I enjoyed it. So I'm looking forward to watching some more of that. Awesome. Uh, so that's that. That's all I was able to squeeze in this past week uh, with all the other stuff that was going on. What have you been watching, Al John? All right, Dave. Well, first of all, uh, Black Mirror continues. Like we, I, I, I love that series. So check it out. Once again, I, I waxed a lot about it last week about it uh, taking a lot of the occult and technology type of uh, things from um uh, twilight zone so please go out there and check that out if you're into it science fictiony um i also saw the movie called the hunt uh on peacock this movie 
did something of a bait and switch with me. I sat there and watched the trailer and it looked to me like this is a great horror film. And my wife and I love horror as, as every and our listeners know. And we looked at the trailer and it's like, Oh, this is going to be somewhat like a hostile Eli Roth kind of thing. These people are being kidnapped and being hunted, you know, cannon fodder for these really rich people, blah, 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 blah. So I was like, okay, I like, I like, uh, uh, you know, those Eli Roth films. I like the purge films come to find out. It's not, uh, this film is kind of a social commentary. Uh, the boilerplate reads 12 strangers wake up in a clearing. They don't know where they are or how they got there. They don't know how they've been chosen, but they've been chosen for a very specific purpose, the hunt. And this film is an action horror thriller, but it's really based, um, on the basis of the left and right side of the political spectrum. Ah. And, and so now it's cast really well. Um, Betty Glippen, uh, who plays the lead, Hillary Swank is in it. Uh, Ike Berholtz is in it. Uh, Wayne Duvall is in it. Um, and then there's other people there. Uh, Emma Roberts, Ethan Supley, like great character actors that are in this, but they literally pull a kind of like a screen moment. Like a lot of them don't last, but like five minutes on screen because they get picked <laughs> off one by one. And uh, there is some violence in it, of course, rated R um, found on Peacock, but um, the director's Craig Zobel, but the writers uh, are Damon Lindelof from lost Dave hmm. and Nick Coos. So like, these are really big things, but it's interesting. It, it really, um, Regardless of what side you are on politically, this has a lot of kind of interweavings of stuff from like Animal Farm and, uh, you know, just the literature and different different references to Orwell. And it's not dark. It's not shot dark and gritty. It's just kind of almost like a <laughs> it's almost like a, a black comedy, Dave. Um, but anyway, uh, it it was good. It wasn't great. And it wasn't bad. It's somewhere okay. in the middle. So it's kind of an average. It's an average. Um, and so if you're into it, check it out. I think it'll surprise some people um, because it makes fun. It makes fun of both sides. Um, so it's okay. an equal opportunity uh, kind of <laughs> film. Um, then I saw something that is uh, lauded as a really great film. It's The Whale. Dave, I finally, it's been on my list forever. It's directed by Darren Aronofsky and you might know him because he did uh, movies like the wrestler, which is one of my favorite films, pie, the fountain requiem, um, limitless. Uh, he's done an executive producer for limitless with Chris Hemsworth and the good nurse. So he, Darren is, is done a lot of work, but this is an adaptation of a stage play, um, written by Sim D Hunter based on the play. And, uh, and it is, it's a very, uh, enclosed gives you a very claustrophobic feel. And if you don't know what the whale is, it's a reclusive, morbidly obese English teacher who attempts to reconnect with his estranged daughter. And, uh, the estranged daughter happens to be played by Sadie sink. Um, who plays his daughter, Ellie Sadie sink was the redhead on stranger things. 
Oh, okay. And she's All great. Right. Um, she's very good. She is very good. And actually, everybody in the cast is very good. Brendan Fraser, of course, this is billed as well, his comeback. Bre- yeah, Brendan Fraser is great. And, you know, in, in recent years, he's been doing smaller parts until this movie, which is, you know, uh, he, he really got a lot of press on this last year. Won two Oscars. Right. Um, you know, and rightfully so, you know, I, I feel like, this film and the supporting cast, um, Ty Simpkins, who was in, you know, Iron Man three as a kid, um, and uh, Hong Chow, who plays Liz, his best friend, uh, Brendan Fraser's uh, character, all did really well. But because this is a story of a morbidly obese person who basically is a shut in, um, and talking about his relationships, his splintered relationship with his family, and and uh, divorce and and everything that's going on. Um, I felt a little uh, like it was a little exploitive because of the fact that, you know, you find these, these, uh, these shows and I'm, I, I, I'm guilty of it because I, I watch shows uh, like uh, on A&E about people that are hoarders or people that are obese that are trying to lose weight and whatever. And it's just like, you oh. like to see that story kind like of like the 600 pounds. Like yeah. Like those, like that. You're right. Yeah, so, yeah, you, yeah. You, you know, we watch it and I feel like, this is kind of exploiting that, but there is, there is something to be said about the way the story unfolds and how the, the main character has this arc um, coming around of realizing, um, you know, where, where things kind of went off the rails and how he became obese and, and things of that. But it's, it's very good. It's over the top uh, in parts. There's a lot of, um, ah, there's a lot of cringy moments just because of how, uh, Darren, uh, the director, does it. But if you like the movie The Wrestler, which I do, uh, uh-huh. you'll like this as well. So, you know, definitely a thumbs up for me. Check out The Whale. I, I rented it on Prime. So uh, check right. it out. Uh, I, too, saw Secret Invasion with Samuel L. Jackson on Disney+. Plus, and I thought it was a good start to what could possibly be a, a very intriguing espionage story. Um Invasion yeah, it's like of the cold, body statures. There's, there's like a cold war, a cold war vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Espionage. Um, there's some great actors in it. Uh, and uh, Al John, did you feel like it was kind of an okay first episode? Not yeah. great, but you wanted more, right? Yeah, of course, I wanted more because the the cast is so good. Um, but it was a slow burn for me. I feel like when you have these shows. You should have had kind of like, you know, Andor is a perfect example of it. You should have like hooked an audience like from the get go. You should have yeah. just slammed them in the face uh, very much in that um, Wes Craven kind of way of here it is, man. Bam. Here it is in the first five minutes and I'm hooked. And then I'm just and then you kind of resolve it and then you slowly build to a crescendo toward the the 45 minute episode or whatever. But um, yeah, it was good. And I'm looking forward to seeing more. I just feel like you have that one chance to really capture the audience's imaginations. And uh, this was kind of like, I love it because I'm a Marvel fan. So I'm willing to stick it out kind of vibe. Right. All right. Awesome. Um, So I also saw super pets uh, animated by DC that is on uh, max. Uh, Uh The kids loved it. And I thought it was, uh, you know, a little paint by numbers in terms of plot, but it was executed really well. So okay. if you like want to hear a story about how Superman's dog uh, decides to save Superman's life, check out Super Pets and the rest of the <laughs> Justice League, who were actually at the mercy of Lex Luthor's pet, 
uh, experimental pet hamster, which is kind of interesting. So uh, if you like it, great. Last but not least, I spent some time talking about nostalgia. Indiana Jones 1 and 2 uh, finally got my wife to watch it and uh, over the past couple days, and she loved it. And I'm so happy about that because I look back at these films and I go, man, this is how an action movie should be done, Dave. Hour and 45 minutes worth of just great action. And I didn't realize how little dialogue there really is in the Indiana Jones films. I didn't oh, yeah. realize that. There's like, uh, there's literally the first, the first half of the film. There's some dialogue. There's great action, but man, there's there's so little dialogue, and the action scenes are not like the Hong Kong type of influenced action scenes that you see today in, in movies like John Wick or whatever. And they're not over the top CGI fast X type of, you know, uh, extravaganzas that we see, but they serve the movie. Yeah. They serve the film in they a do. way, for example, you know, the, we saw, uh, Indiana Jones and the temple of doom and when they're in the club and the girls that are doing the, the anything goes and comes out with all the, the stage flair and stuff of the 1940s, come out and then there's a scramble to to get the uh you know to get the uh the vial you know and everything and it's kind of slapstick how it happens you know the ice falls and people run into the orchestra and indiana jones is hiding behind a gong and it's rolling around so that they can make their escape and jump out of a window out of club obi-wan no doubt and, <laughs> and it's um and it's done in such a way and it's not done you know um like all these special or like these uh, Hong Kong influenced, uh, you know, hand to hand combat scenes that we've seen. Yeah. It's really good. And there are moments of levity. There are moments of snark uh, commentary. Um, a lot of great push ins where people can see the actor's eyes and the beads of sweat roll down Indy's face and things that I, you just don't see. And it made yeah. me feel like I was 12 years old again, watching these movies in a theater I loved it. I loved watching it and I loved seeing my wife's reaction to it. It's like, wow, uh, they're pulling this guy's heart out of his chest <laughs> or the, or, you know, the iconic scene, which makes my brother queasy to this day uh, of the temple of doom, when they sit down in the, in the palace and they're serving chilled monkey brains and all the other stuff that's oh, coming God, out. I remember it just, that. It yes. just makes you, you know, it just makes you want to hurl. Um, but this is the, this is the stuff that George Lucas wrote that Steven Spielberg produced and it's just lovingly executed by all everybody there. So, and it holds up, Dave, I look at this film and I go, man, this is what filmmaking is like for real. Yeah. It's so, so well executed. And it's, and I was telling you earlier, Dave, I wanted to see, I've been wanting to see John wick for forever, but it's such a big investment of my time. It's three plus hours. It's yeah, like, it's Hollywood. Can goes, we not I will tell you, it goes by fast. Okay. But by the end of the movie, you're going to be exhausted. I get that. I get that. <laughs> but how come, how did we get to this point of not having a very clear, concise film? Like I know movies like Endgame, you know, the Avengers films are long. I know that they have to try to weave a lot of story and, and close a lot of loops at the end of the day. But films like Indiana Jones were just perfect popcorn you know, films yeah. that are well done, well executed, great stories, great action and cinematography, yeah. lighting, all that, and brilliant soundtrack. 
But uh, how can we get back to that point where we have great films at an hour and 40, 40 minutes or so and not have to sit through, you know, three hours of a film? <laughs> yeah, but you know something, John. I don't mind a movie being long if it doesn't feel long. Right. I in get other that. words, if, if the material in the movie is relevant to be there. Yes. You know, in other words, if the storytelling is lean, but it just is a three hour movie. Right. Yes. Yes. You know, but in in some instances, these movies that are two and a half and three hours long, uh, it, it's like gratuitous. Yeah. Like you're sitting there watching and say, well, you didn't need that sequence. You could have cut that out. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? It's it, it just sort of like, you know, you're looking at your watch. You know, when I start looking at my watch or I look over at my friend Rick, who I go to the movies with all the time and he's asleep. Yeah. You know, that tells you a lot about a movie. Yeah. Oh, you're you know, right. so uh, and, and by the way, John Wick was not that when I saw that, <laughs> I saw that in IMAX, in you know, in the theaters. And yes, it was three hours. But when that movie ended, it felt like that three hours shot by. Well, that's good. Uh, it did not feel like a three hour movie. No, that, and that's good. I felt that way about the previous installments of John Wick. But I, I, there is something to be said about the economy, the storytelling, and not, and not having a really huge um, ensemble of stars to service. Yes. Right. Um, a lot of these films, uh, these new films. I think there was a new uh, this uh, movie with Gal Gadot that came out a couple uh, year or two ago that had like a huge all star cast and they all had to be serviced, right? I mean, you don't have yeah. uh, all star cast and not give them lines. Well, so, well, what was that one? It was so forgettable. The one with uh, 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 was it Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Uh, yeah, yeah. Once Upon a Time, with, uh, DiCaprio and with, Brad Pitt from a couple years ago. No, no, it wasn't Once Upon a Time. It was more recent with uh, that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It was actually really good. That was yeah. Quentin Tarantino. That was, yeah, yeah. Right? Yes. No, this was this was the one with Margot Robbie and Brad Pitt. And, uh, oh, gosh. It'll, it'll come to me. It was it was it was so it was long and forgettable. It was a terrible movie, but it was an ensemble of a lot of big stars. Yeah. You know, and they just lost their way in in making that movie. Yeah, it must have been Babylon. That was it. Yeah, it was Gene Babylon. Smart, Brad Pitt, Olivia Wilde. Yeah, yeah it was. Oh my gosh, it, you know, uh, it was just awful. Yeah, awful. Yeah. There's a lot. I mean, it's 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 hard, and I I get it. I mean, that's what happens when you have all these A-list actors that are that are in these yeah. ensemble films. But anyway, uh, she loved it. And I'm glad finally I can say that she's seen Indiana Jones um, after 20 years of marriage. Just about Dave, I finally got her around to say yeah. Indiana Jones. Well, right. uh, it's curious. What What are you watching? Let us know. Send us an email, and we'll definitely chat about it in an upcoming episode here at Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast this week in Disney and pop culture. Uh, mm. Swig of water for the working man. Dave, <laughs> got to wet the whistle here. <laughs> Elemental box office debacle. Dave, Pixar fails and falls to a new low as the movie bombs, according to the Hollywood Reporter. Dave, what went wrong here? You know, I I think that you know I I, I kept seeing a repeated phrase in some of the articles about this, in that it 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 felt like Inside Out. Uh huh. Yeah. Right. And uh, I think that worked against it. 
you know, look, it's a beautiful looking movie, but um, it's not resonating with audiences. And why is that? Right. <laughs> because what 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 is happening at Disney, not only with Pixar, but with Disney animation? Uh, why are these films not resonating? Uh, and you have to look at the landscape of what is resonating. You know, look at the visual appeal of uh, Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, which is doing huge numbers, yeah. huge box office numbers. I mean, it had a blowout opening weekend and it's still it's got legs. It, it is moving along in, the, uh, you know, I think it's in its third week and it's doing extremely well. It's visually appealing. When I go to the movies, I have been seeing lots of people going to see uh, Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse because they're dressing up. They've got Spider-Man shirts on and, and some of them are wearing costumes, you know? And so it's, I, you know, what's happening at Disney, they're doing films that don't seem to be resonating with the audiences, you know, uh, strange world, uh, you know, was a disaster light year last year, it, you know, by all accounts w w did not do well. Yeah. Uh, and now you got elemental. Now I, I saw the trailer for, is it Cleo or, uh, what, what was the name of that upcoming Pixar film? Oh C gosh. Silo Silo. Yeah. Something like that. Something like that. Right. Yeah. I saw the trailer for that. That actually looked pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, you know, they have a lot of really cool stuff that's, that's coming out. It's, uh, Elio. Elio? Il, 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 yeah, it's, it's the alien, okay, the Elio. one with the alien, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's Elio. kind of like a close yeah. encounters thing. Yeah, yeah so, so yeah. yeah. I, this is the worst. Okay, so let's look at numbers here. Uh, the worth $26.9 million, the lowest three-day weekend start in history. Um, of Pixar. Of Pixar. And I think it's a lot of things. I think, you know, and I think they hedged their bet too because – I didn't see a lot of promotion for this, and maybe it's just me. Am I missing something? Uh, was it marketed I saw tons properly? Of promotion. Was it tons of I, okay? I, okay, I, maybe I, it's just I, me. I have to tell you, I saw I saw tons of promotion for Elemental in the airports. Oh, okay. I, I don't know if that was the right place to be putting their money, but you know, the tunnel at JFK at American Airlines, when you go from uh from terminal B to the main terminal, you, you have to go through it go down an escalator and you go through a tunnel under the runways or uh -huh. under the taxiways. Yeah. Um I mean both sides of that tunnel, it was all elemental. Yeah. Uh, both in, you know, sort of uh, uh, static print yeah. and video yeah. uh, playing. And, you know, they had banners everywhere. Uh, that was at, that was at JFK in, in New York and also in Los Angeles. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, well, I'm seeing it. I, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of stuff. I saw a lot of advertisements, but were they spending it in the right places to attract the right audience? Yeah. Oof. You know, and I don't know if putting that kind of a film in the tunnel at an airline terminal is the right place. Are you really reaching your audience or are, uh, you know, is it just a bunch of, you know, uh, rushed travelers and business people zipping by, 
you know, are you really reaching your audience? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know what their argument is. Maybe they're thinking, well, it's going to be a busy travel summer and families are going on vacation. So the kids will see it. But, you know, I, 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 I'm not sure about that. Pete Doctor is a brilliant filmmaker. And I feel that <clears throat> maybe in, in, in the case of Bob Chapek instituting the uh, recently broken up, um, I guess the overseers. I forgot what the name of that decision that uh, that group was. The the uh, the the D the, D Med or something. Yeah, like D Med, right? The 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 yeah. group that basically greenlit projects and and stuff. The committee. Um, I don't know how much influence the committee had, not only with greenlighting projects because I know they did, but also if their hand was in a lot of these films to kind of dilute what Pixar is known to do now i'm saying this without having seen the film right i did see Lightyear. uh i did see the other films that came out you know over the past few years so uh strange worlds and different things from disney as well so i i'm curious now that that is dissolved if we're seeing a turn without necessarily heads of studios like pete doctor being cut off at the knees you know what i'm saying like yeah, you know, because well, when, when something you know, like think, this bombs think, the way it does, you know, the the first thing leadership usually does or executive leadership does is go, okay, you're here, you're not here anymore because we need yeah. to make a drastic change uh, with our film divisions, our, our animation divisions, right? Well, you know, look, I I'm I'm going to give you my opinion. I I think both at Pixar and at Walt Disney Animation Studios, um, they're they're bloated with management. Yeah, um, I, I think that's stifling creativity. And I also believe this is just me that uh, there's too many cooks in the kitchen mm-hmm. and you can see it in some of these films, yep. you know. And uh, when I saw Lightyear, I, I could not uh, understand why they didn't use Tim Allen to do the voice. Yep. They should have. Yep. You know, uh, because the the rationale to me is if. Buzz Lightyear is a real character and there's a toy of him in Toy Story. Yep. You would think that the real character and the toy would have the same voice. You would think. Or similar. Yes. Right? Yes. And so why not have Tim Allen do uh, the real Buzz Lightyear? Made no sense to me why they didn't do that. You know, and, uh, and you know, maybe it's not as over the top as the toy. But yeah. it's the same voice. But it's the same voice, you know. And, and and so you know, when I saw Lightyear, I didn't really care. I, there was nothing that made me care about those characters. Yep. Right. And and that was the same with Strange World. Well, you know. I, and again, both both films are beautiful looking movies. You well, can't fault I, the artists. No, no, you can't. But uh, I have my sneaking suspicions. But we'll move on from that. Yes. Okay. So, yeah. And, and by the way, we're we're gonna have to see what happens when Wish comes out in November. Yes, I mean from from Walt Disney Animation Studios and Ilio uh, uh, when that comes out because is there a trend happening at Disney Animation and Pixar? One hundred percent. Let's see. Well, yeah. speaking of trends, you know. Um, I, I can say as a Marvel fan, I really like the Disney Plus series. I like some of them more than others. You know, I would think that Moon Knight is a great example of how how Disney Plus Marvel should work. 
Uh, yeah. We talked about Secret Invasion earlier as we both watched it. But um, here's something that's a little bit of a head scratcher. You know, there was com- confirmation about Marvel Studios doing AI-generated images for the opening credits <laughs> of Secret Invasion. Um, I didn't necessarily know that as I watched it. I can see that they were going for something of that type of effect. But I would like to have thought that being Marvel Studios and being under the Disney banner, that it would all be like animated properly with a proper team. But lo and behold, if you look at the credits, it is AI generated. Dave, what are your thoughts on this whole debacle uh, that is happening now with being criticized uh, for using AI as an effects tool? Well, first and foremost, uh, there's actually now new job categories being posted for people to write AI prompts. Mm-hmm. So if anything, it's creating some jobs. Now, somebody was going to argue that it's taking away jobs. When I watched Secret Invasion and watched the titles, I didn't like the titles. Uh-huh. They were odd to me. I didn't know at the time that it was AI generated. But I didn't particularly care for it in comparison to the titles that have been done for other um, uh, Marvel and Star Wars series that are on Disney Plus. Same. So, uh, you know, when you look at the uh, title sequence for Andor. Right. uh, It's really well done, I thought. Yeah. Um, You know who does really great title sequences? Mm -hmm. The British. (laughs) I watch a lot of British television Uh and they have some fantastic people doing series titles over there. Yeah. You know, the, the, the titles for uh, happy Valley uh, is an example. The titles for the Bay, which is another series uh, out of the UK and the BBC. Um, I am very impressed with the title work that is done on those television series. When I watched Secret Invasion, I was unimpressed. I thought it could be better. Yes. And therein lies the rub when when it comes out that it's AI generated. Well, some there was somebody, you know, putting in the prompts to get the artwork generated. And that person may not have the artistic chops. Right. I mean, it's only as good. AI is only as good as what you feed into it. And I liken it to how records right. how records were made previously. You know, I like it in so much of this because it's art, music, and, and film is, is an art form. But it's only as good as what you put in. You put in great singers and great musicians, great stuff will come out of it typically. You know, when you have people that have no talent, you have, you know, auto-tuned to the max, and it's a tool. Um you're going to get, you know, just blah kind of stuff that pops out. Uh, John garbage in garbage, <laughs> garbage out. out. Yes. Yes. That, that, it's as simple as that garbage in garbage out. And uh, I, I kind of feel like I, the, the titles for a secret invasion are, you know, unimpressive and odd for the tone of the show. Yep. Well, I agree. And, and they could have done something much better. Uh, but I'm not going to fault them for trying something new. True. Okay? Yes. And and in this instance, they tried something. And to me, it's a fail. Uh, and and I hope if there's a season two of Secret Invasion that uh, they might revisit their titles and actually have somebody who's a title designer 
actually really do these titles and do something that integrates with the show. I would not be opposed to them actually redoing it. <laughs> Redo, yeah. Redoing it and then putting some end titles into it because it kind of ended very abruptly too. Look at all the beautiful title sequences that we've seen from Marvel. <clears throat> Even the Miss Marvel series has done really well. Moon Knight, uh, yes. Captain America, Winter Soldier. Those are great examples of things in Loki where they, they thread different kind of Easter eggs throughout and it keeps people looking for clues and looking and, and visually yeah. they look good. They did the same thing on Picard as well mm -hmm. what a great uh, what a great series this is not the sequence that you put in for a samuel l jackson project yeah. you just don't do and, it and, and by the way like a, a series on apple plus silo that yep. just got picked up for season two uh you look at that sequence that that title sequence the title sequence relates to the show yeah right and and, and it gives you clues to what how this thing you know this whole silo came about yeah Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, so I, I, I don't want to belabor it, but I'll just say that to me, the titles for Secret Invasion are a fail yep. uh, big time. And uh, and now that it's come out that it's A.I., I can only imagine that they had, you know, uh, somebody uh, with rudimentary skills, uh, artistic <laughs> skills, uh, try to try to use A.I. to create the, the artwork. So I agree. They're terrible. They should change them. Yeah. Let's move on. All right. So <laughs> will the new CFO have the keys to the kingdom? The Hollywood Reporter is reporting a search to find Christine McCarthy's replacement only adds speculation that Bob Iger may stick around in the top job past 2024. Um, wow, Dave. You know, we called it a way back. You know, he's, uh, you know, Bob is looking to, to get out of the way here next year. And I, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> You, you know, can I tell you, I just think there there are too many things going on right now at the company uh, that the, the board would be really uh, better off if they engage Bob right now and ask him this extended another year or two. Yep. Uh, and, and even if they identify a, a CEO by the end of this year, Make that person the COO. Mm -hmm. Make them the COO. Leave Bob in for another couple of years as the CEO and groom that person so that Bob can really step away and leave it in good hands and not have the train wreck we experienced last year. Yep. There's a lot of uh, shakeup when you have two big positions, a CFO, um, you know, gone and, and needing to find a successor that's two huge positions and there's a lot of instability i think you know with the animated divisions not performing as they should as we alluded to earlier that's a lot that is a lot uh and star wars too you know not not uh you know delivering either so they need to they need to do a lot um, yeah. And, and, and look, you know, it's it, it's being reflected in the stock price, the stock price. You know, it's in the, it's like 88, 89. Uh, and just realize uh, a year ago, January, the stock was at 210. Yeah. You know, so uh, and, and, it, and it feeds into this next story. The Disney chief diversity officer is exiting the company. So there there's something going on there. Uh, when you not only uh, are you having uh, low morale, uh, you just uh, finished up all these layoffs yep. and you've got people exiting the company to go elsewhere. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, so this um, executive tenure 
at Disney ran concurrent to Hollywood's increasing and halting efforts to amplify representation in the industry on and off screen. Um, so there you go. There you go. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a time of change in a lot of different ways uh, at the Walt Disney company. So we'll see what happens in her absence. Um, are they going to be replacing her? I didn't see, uh, I, see anything. I, honestly, I have no idea. And I think it's BS. Do uh, you really need, do you really need it? A chief diversity officer. Do you really need it? Al John? I don't think so. You know, it, because it, it, if the rest of your executive team is focused on diversity, equity, inclusion, do, do you need to have a, a chief diversity officer? Well, I think that's what you said. I think there's a lot of bloat uh, in, yeah. in upper management, you know, there yeah. at, at Disney. You know, when you have a company as diverse as Disney, why do you need a chief diversity officer when all that can be handled by human resources? Exactly. Human. Re- I mean, that's just uh, redundant yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Because you have uh, a very it's, diverse. It's, yeah. It's complete redundancy. Yeah. Let's get rid of a redundancy and get back to making some great content. Um, the Walt Disney Company, uh, you sent this to me, Dave. Piaggio and Disney bring Mickey Mouse edition Vespa to life. Uh, I love Vespas. Uh, I I love, I love the whole Vespa category. And uh, this is a co- cool kind of collaboration, Dave. It really is. And, you know, it's funny, Al John, when I was in France a couple of weeks ago, I saw a number of vintage Vespas. I love it. And and it just really reminded me of the beautiful design of those and uh, and seeing this uh, Mickey Mouse uh, uh, Vespa in the in the red, black and yellow color scheme. Uh, it, it's just fun. It really is fun. You know, my uh, my team uh, that uh, my special projects team when I was at the studio gave me a Mickey Mouse uh, um, special edition bicycle. Really? You know, it was like one of those fat tire 50 style bicycles that is uh, Mickey Mouse themed. That's cool. Yeah, they gave that to me as a gift one year, and I thought that was the most awesome thing. And they did it because I actually had a bike in my office, and uh, and I would often take my bike and uh, ride to other parts of the company. You know, nice. whether you know it was another building or across the studio lot, I would just take my bike and walk it out to out the building and jump on it and ride my bike. Well, that's awesome. I love this idea. I think it's great. It's based on Vespa's Primavera model uh-huh. and um, it looks great. There's actually Mickey mouse art, you know, yellow wheel highlights, you know, yeah. red body with a, you know, black base. It's just, it's really cool. And I love it when these brands come together to do something like this and uh, makes me want it. It makes me want it. Dave. And I just love Vespa's, you know, Vespa's they're just too. iconic uh, scooters. Absolutely. Well, I tell you, um, what else uh, happened in, in entertainment? You know, every week we like to pay tribute to the people that have come and, and gone in our industry. And a couple of favorites since the conversation, uh, this Oscar nominee also started in the ill-fated One from the Heart and uh, Hammett. That is Frederick Forrest, a supporting role actor. 
who passes away at the age of 86, Dave. So sad. You know, he was a terrific actor and very memorable in Apocalypse Now. You know, really, Apocalypse Now is is high on my list of favorite movies. Yes. Uh, And once again, it's one of those things where uh, you may not know the name, but you know the face for sure. Um, Well, he, he played chef on the gunboat. That was taking Martin Sheen's character up the uh, the river in Vietnam, right? Right. right. And, uh, and and he he didn't want to be there. He wanted to be in cooking school. He yes. was going to go to cooking school in Paris. He was from New Orleans, <laughs> and they called him chef. And he just want. And, and one of my favorite lines when they're when they're really getting into the darkness of uh, um, you know. Um, uh Marlon Brando's character. Yeah. You know? Yes. Uh you know, uh you you see Frederick Forrest say, This is pagan idolatry. It's pagan idolatry, you know, and, and he's just freaking out, you know. Uh yeah. he, he played such a great character in that film. It was fantastic. And he was really a favorite of Francis Ford Coppola. Uh Coppola had cast him in other films. Yeah, totally. And I think uh, not only that, there was a, a breakout role for him, but I think also um, alongside Bette Midler in The Rose as well. Yes. Uh, and Bette had a lot of things, great things to say about her co-star as well. So uh, once again, passing away at the age of 86, rest in peace, Frederick Forrest. Yeah. Another one that happened to pass away also at the, well, close uh, at the age of 85 is Paxton Whitehead, stage and screen veteran and back to school actor. I think a lot of people remember Back to School, Mad About You and Friends. He, he was a character actor in Hollywood. Um, passed away at the age of 85, Dave. And, and, you know, this is one of those actors, you may not recognize the name Paxton Whitehead, but when you see his picture, you'll go, oh, yeah, I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. Oh, he yeah. he, he popped up in a lot of uh, popular shows. Oh, yeah, 100%. And his resume and his IMDb page uh, is a laundry list of sh- uh, movies and films, uh, uh, TV shows, Jumpin' Jack Flash, Kate and Leopold, The Aristocrat, Magnum P.I., The A-Team. The list goes on and on. But uh, once again, just rest in peace. Um, you know, Paxton, uh, check him out. On, on the IMDb page and, and relive some of his great moments there on. Yeah. So. I mean, he was in heart to heart. He was on Ellen, the West wing, Frasier, third rock from the sun, oh, yeah. murder. She wrote Magnum, Magnum PI. I mean, you know, all of these shows that, you know, uh, so many of us and so many of our listeners, you know, grew up watching. Same. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Dave, now comes time to the, sh- uh, in the program where we, uh, have our great sit-down interview back once again. Rick Farmelo, animator, teacher, all-around rock and roller. Sit back and relax. Rick Farmelo here on Skull Rock Podcast. Let's do it. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Well, Al John, once again, we've got a repeat guest, which is always a lot of fun. We've got animator and teacher, Rick Farmelo. I'm part of, I'm part of the summer reruns. They're, no, not really. We're, we've got we've got Rick back for really a, a, a long overdue part two. How's that? All right. Good, Rick, yeah. Welcome back to the Skull Rock Podcast. Thank you, both you guys. And and, and oh, our studio fans. audience, which goes wild. Yeah, there you go. 
you know, Rick, the last time you were on the show, we we got a chance to really talk about uh, how you got into the business and, you know, really your long uh, and very full career so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you're still working in the industry, but you're also teaching a lot, right? That's right. Yeah, I've been teaching about about two years uh, I teach at uh, Laguna College of Art and Design down in Laguna Beach, which is a heck of a drive. But once you get down there, it's beautiful. So Oh, it's gorgeous. And that's right in Laguna Canyon, isn't it? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I actually drove past that a couple of weeks ago because uh, uh-huh. I, I had lunch at the Beachcomber uh, Cafe or the Beachcomber Restaurant in Crystal Cove. Oh, great. Which is just a little bit north of uh, yeah. uh, of Laguna Canyon. Right. Uh, but anyway, uh, how do you like teaching? You know, I really, I love it. You know, I went from, you know, they were bothered, not bothering me. They were asking me to teach for a while. And I just never really wanted to, because I thought, well, if, you, if I'm a teacher, that means I'm not going to work in the industry anymore. And I wasn't ready to do that. And um, Dan Bulos, who's the, the chair down there, he said, no, 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 you can just teach one class if you want. You don't have to give up your animation. I thought, well, all right, let me try it. So I tried one semester and it went really, really well. I had no, really no idea kind of what I was exactly doing. Luckily there's a syllabus that I had that somebody else had already put together. So I kind of went by that, but I just kind of, kind of grew into it. And now, although we're, it's, we just are officially at summer break, but now I'm teaching two classes on Wednesdays, two classes back to back. And they're like six hour classes each. So it's a really long day, you know, Wow. 10 o'clock class in the morning and it ends at almost 10 o'clock at night. So that's a long. Yeah, long that, I, I'd say that's a long, a very long stretch. Now, yeah. did you start out uh, teaching online and then uh, go back in person? Yes, I did. I, I did. A, I did a short class with um, Eric Walls on Saturdays uh, for for a period. And I was going to do another uh, semester, but then Disney called me to come and work on DuckTales, the new version of DuckTales. So I went back to Disney and animated on DuckTales for a couple of years. And then I worked on Henry Selleck's uh, Wendell and Wild, you know, so I was pretty busy, but then another semester happened. They said, could you, could you teach online? Could you just do a Zoom? So I said, sure. So I started doing again, Wednesdays all day, but I would, it was Zoom. It was right during, during, during COVID. So I did a Zoom class and it was great. And my students seemed to like it. The only bad part of it was the camera was in, in the back. So all I saw was the back of people's heads. So I never knew what my students looked like. So when I'd meet them, they're like, oh, I'm so-and-so. I said, oh, I don't turn around so I can recognize you, you know. Um, <laughs> but, it, but it was really fun. And then after that, I just said, you know, I'm just going to keep doing this. And I said, it's a really long drive. But if I can do two classes in a row again, then it's worth it. It's worth that trip. So that's kind of what we decided to do. And I've just been teaching in person now. So when you're teaching, uh, you're teaching on a Wednesday, uh, are you getting, uh, are you, uh, how does that work with your day job, so to speak? Well, what happened was, um, of course I knew this was going to happen, but you know, I got a, a job offer and I was, it was working on a, a Disney, a Disney junior show, which I can't divulge quite yet, but anyway, and that was a full-time thing. And I said, well, but I was, it was remote, you know, I could work at home. I said, look, I've got a teaching job on Wednesdays. So what I'll do is I'll make up that time during the week or the weekend. I'll make sure I get in my 40 hours 
but just know that I won't be available for meetings on Wednesdays because I'll be teaching. So they kind of worked around. They helped me a lot. They were really good about it and kind of scheduled meetings or launches and stuff for me on any day but Wednesday. So I was able to work full time and then do that, do that class on Wednesdays. And it was a busy week. I'll tell you, you know, it was like 40 hours plus whatever that day was like 12 hours. So yeah, yeah. And I was there every week, but I was able to make up the time and put in, get, get in what they needed. So. Well, I, and I, I think it's easy to do a 40 hour week in four days. Yeah. Yeah. You know, spe- especially when you're on the board animating, you know, cause yeah. you just kind of get, you get into the zone. Yeah. The time flies by. Yeah. True. Yeah. It was, it's not, it wasn't not that taxing. So yeah. um, I was able to make that work. How, how do you, uh, how do you feel or what's your opinion really of uh, the talent uh, coming into the industry, the people that are taking classes from you? Well, surprisingly I was, you know, I, you know, I was, you know, because I, we CG has been around for so, so long now. I just assume there's probably not that many students that really want to learn hand-drawn, but was I ever wrong? I mean, there, I have 18 students in each class doing teaching hand-drawn animation on paper. I'm teaching it on paper, yeah. even though everybody knows that it's really not done on paper much anymore. Right. They want to get jobs. It's going to be digital, whether it's TV paint or harmony, Toon boom. Uh, it's but working on, working on a Cintiq, working yeah, on working a tablet. On a yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, with a Which stylus. is how I taught my, my Zoom classes that I did a couple years ago were uh, digital. Yeah. But now they wanted me, they said, you're one of the few people that can teach on animation on paper, and you're just too valuable to not do it that way. So surprisingly, like I said, students are so thrilled to do hand-drawn animation. It's really like, wow, you know? So... It, it works How, out, you know. How's their draftsmanship? Some of them are pretty good, you know. Yeah. And some of them are not so good. And I say you guys need, I mean, when I was in school, I had a lot of life drawing. You know, I used to just sure. draw cartoons, you know, funny ducks and mice and stuff. But I had to really learn how to draw in the traditional way to, to work at Disney. Disney didn't care about cartoonists. They wanted artists, as you know. Yeah. Um. So I, so I, I encourage them to take other kinds of drawing and they, there are life drawing classes that they're taking, but I think, you know, because emphasis is not necessarily on strong graftsmanship to be an animator that I think a little bit of that curriculum has kind of taken a back seat, but I want it to be you know, back up there where it belongs. Yeah. So we have really good draftsmen. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I asked you that question because I've seen some uh, some portfolios over the last several years from people who have graduated from four year programs. Yeah. And I am really sort of taken aback by how bad the draftsmanship yeah. is on yeah. some of the portfolios. I mean, shockingly so, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and it, it made me feel as though, you know, some of these programs are just putting warm bodies in seats for their money. Well, that is a, I, I won't mention it at the school, but um, a friend of somebody went to their uh, end of the year animation pro, you know, all the films that you know, put together the, the, I'm not gonna, if I tell you what it's called, then you'll know what I'm talking about. But uh, he said, these people can't draw. He said, I was, I was shocked at how bad the drawing was. I said, they're not even really doing full animation. They're just kind of doing what they want. I was, I was shocked to hear that because this school is a pretty well-known school. I was like, wow, are they not emphasizing 
life drawing and figure drawing. And is, is it East Coast or West Coast? West. West Coast. Okay. And I didn't see you. I'm going to keep, gonna keep I, asking you all these little Dave. sort of, yeah. you know, whittle it down. Bad Dave. No, I'm not going to hit so I'm going to nod or shake my head. Well, bad, but bad it was, Dave. Bad it was Dave. surprising to me that he, that was his comment. Now, I didn't see the films. So I can't say for sure, but I'm just telling this was his comment. And he, you know, he's a, he's a teacher. And he was like, I was, I was kind of shocked at how the, the, just the, the animation per se. Yeah. The drawing just was not that strong. The ideas were good and they looked yeah. professional, but just those, that skill level of an, of a hand-drawn animator and being able to draw well wasn't there. And I was like, wow, I was kind of like shocked. So now was this a screening of student films in the yes. last month or so? Oh, could be. Yeah. Did it happen at the Geffen Theater at the Motion Picture Academy? Well, that, you know what? I, I can't even answer because I, I don't know exactly where it was. Okay. But my point is, I think, I I think to your point, you're, you're correct. There's a yeah. lot of, they're dropping the ball in that aspect. And that's, that's really kind of shocking and kind of sad. You'd think that all, all animation programs would have that, would have figure drawing and life drawing and, you know, emphasize. Yeah, I think that, I think I think a lot of them are focusing on just uh, getting uh, people up to speed on software packages. It seems well, like. that's my big argument. Yeah. That's my big argument. In fact, I tell my students, I said, you guys, I don't care if you do CG, you do stop motion. I want you to learn how to draw. You have got to learn how to draw. You need to know how things are put together, how they how they work together, you know, and, and they're dimensional. I said, I don't care if you do CG and your character's already there. You just move it around. I don't care. You need to learn how to draw. So, you know, no matter what you do, you get a weekend, go to the beach, draw, draw characters, take life drawing, take figure drawing. It's just going to make you better. You're just going to understand how to move things better. Right. Right. No, I, 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 you know, it, it was something that I've noticed for quite a number of years, actually, is that there's this sort of decline in draftsmanship and the ability to really draw dimensionally and yeah. understand the construction of what they're drawing. Right. Um, and and I think that's problematic, uh, especially problematic if if there's ever going to be another 2D feature film. Do you think there will be? Well, there are, as you know, there's, so I, 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 I know that I know there I, are from around the world, Yeah, but you talking but, about, but, big but I'm talking to major studio. You think yeah. Disney will ever do another 2d animated movie? I, you know what? I hate to say no, because anything's possible. I right. thought they were not going to do any 2d at all. Yeah. And then next thing you know, they're doing this, this, uh, is it called 23? I, or, I, I can't remember exactly, but that's a 2d project. And they're yeah. it's hand-drawn animation. They've got some of our buddies right, right. doing it, along with some brand new people that they brought in to train to do that. So you keep thinking, man, eh, probably not. But then if something is successful and they think it's going to be successful, the studios will do it. They want to make money. And that's the only reason they stopped but, doing hand-drawn because right. they didn't make money anymore. Yeah, but I, I guess the the real question is: Do you think they do you think there's enough talent in town to put oh together, I see uh, put well, together a crew that could do a a high quality hand drawn you know sort of Disney style in yeah. a heyday kind of film? I, well, I think there is. I mean, there's still we're a lot of us are still vertical. You know, a lot yeah. of the two D animators are still vertical, so that's good. 
So I think a combination of veterans and new people, you saw Klaus, you saw how Klaus looked. It came sure. out. Years ago. Yeah, it was, fan- it was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So there are Gorgeous. young, there are younger people who can, who are good draftsmen and yeah. can draw really well. So I think, you know, I don't think it'll ever be where you have three or four studios all doing hand-drawn feature animation. I don't think that's ever going to happen. Yeah. But if you wanted to do one film in town, whether it's Disney, maybe DreamWorks does it, or maybe you know, whoever, yeah. uh, you could get enough talent together. We, look, we, look, we did Great Mouse Detective. How many animators were on that? 15? I mean, yeah. it wasn't that many. It was a little crew. So yeah, it was, it was a small crew. 80, yeah, yeah, you don't need 80 animators to do a film. So I definitely think that's possible that it could happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what, uh, what do you think uh, of the uh, animation landscape today? You know, if you look out like I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, Spider-Man across the yeah. Spider-Verse. Right. right. The, the sequel to uh, the animated Spider-Man yeah. in the Spider-Verse. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's a film I point to and say, wow, they're doing it right you know yep. they're they're doing something that is a combination of using technology uh cg animation hand drawn animation right. all of these techniques coming together right. in a really visually appealing package mm-hmm. um but just overall how do you look at the animation features well, that have been coming out over the last several years cuz we all watch them because uh-huh. of our academy involvement yeah right right well this is what you said i agree with every word you just said about spider-man and when i saw that you know peter ramsey and his crew put that together and peter's a super talented guy and i loved it i thought this is how 2d needs to look we can use it it can be a hybrid kind of a thing you can have 2d you can have cg you can have stop motion all in one movie. Yeah. I just thought it was really exciting to see 2D used that way where it feels modern. It feels like, wow, I haven't seen this before because we haven't. So yeah. they're, now they're doing another one because the first one was successful. One, it won Best Picture, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, so they're doing another one. Well, and then Gendy Tartakovsky is doing a hand-drawn film right, uh, project right now. And his stuff looks awesome. You know, his stuff looks great. Well, it's so, art. It's absolute yeah. art, right? Yeah. Where, where, and I guess really the comment I would make is that a lot of the CG films are all look, they're blending together. Well, yeah. Uh, Which you know, they have the, for a long time. Right. The, the, the yeah. Disney, the, the uh, DreamWorks, the Pixar, all yeah. of those Sony. films, the CG films are all starting to have sort of a similar look to them. Right. Well, that's, that's my, that's my big complaint about CG animation is, you can't tell one studio from another. They all they all use the same software, so it's all going to have the same look. The designs even look the same. You can't tell from one studio to another. Now, when hand-drawn animation was being done, you knew what a Disney film looked like. Yeah. You knew what a Bluth film looked like. Sure. You knew what a DreamWorks film looked like. You, you knew what a Ralph Bakshi film looked like. You knew what a Ralph Bakshi like. film looked like. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, you know. But, uh, you know, everyone had a different drawing style and animation style and that was great you know i thought that was incredible and then you had the french with the stuff the french were doing which is just beautiful these oh my god these guys can draw you know just yeah the 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 tin tin film yes yes uh, uh, you know yeah yeah so that you know that's missing in the cg world it just you can't tell one from another and to me even the stories are kind of blending together like they all have the same sort of story palette like well, this happens then this then this then this they're all feeling derivative yeah they're they're stealing from each other yeah it just makes it bo- it just makes it boring you don't you can't get ex- you can't get excited and they wonder why 
strange world or, or, or the Buzz Lightyear didn't do well. Well, because the people are tired of it. I mean, you got to have some kind of variety and you got to do something that people are going to get excited about and feel they need to see, you know? So the parallels remind me so much of what's going on in music. Oh right? God. Yeah. Technology as, as far as technology has made making music more accessible to people like making films or animation for that matter. If you are being derivative from a director that's being derivative and a writer that's being derivative. And it's literally a copy of a copy of a copy yeah, of a copy. Yeah. And it all is homogenized at this point yeah. where you go back and you listen to the rock stars. And I use that term very loosely of the Beatles, or you look at, you know, Rick, we're talking about the Ramones or yeah. T-Rex. Those were the archetypical bands that made art. And those are the people that, yeah. you know, like the golden era of Disney, those are, those are still masterworks, but mm -hmm. you're, everybody's so derivative now. And it's like, yeah. you know, it's, it's like, it's, it, it's the equivalent of having a Xerox machine and you have a really great drawing and you Xerox it and then you Xerox it again. And then you Xerox it again. And then you, if you just Xerox that, that drawing 10 different times, what's that going to look like at the end? What's the 10th drawing incarnation? It's degraded. It's degraded. Yeah. You know? And that's exactly yeah. what it is. That's exactly what you're getting with music, movies, whatever. You know, I'm just curious, like when you uh, look at a film like Spider-Man, uh, you know, Into the Spider-Verse, uh, that looks like a film that was made by filmmakers and artists. Yes. Right. Yes. Whereas when you look at a film like Strange World or Lightyear, it's a film made by committee. It's a hundred percent correct because into the Spider Wars, from what Peter told me, or whoever else, you know, whoever he's talked to about it, the executives left him alone. They just surprisingly, this, the people at Sony said, "You know what? This looks great. You you know what you're doing. Do it." And it yeah. looks like it was made by artists. Yeah. Some of these films, you know, they're done by committee. You know that Pixar has this brain trust. It's the same people in this in this room making decisions and nothing against the talent up there. Cause I have a lot of friends up there, as do you, and there's some amazingly sure. talented people. But when you have the same people making the same making the decisions, you're gonna get the same look, feel and and look of a film. You're gonna get this yeah. the story points happen at the same the same points every film. You're just gonna feel like I, I know I haven't seen this film before, but I feel like I have. Right. Well, I, you know, I sit there and point to uh, Encanto, well, the opening scene, the girl is is going through the village singing. Yeah, and yeah. I thought to myself, wait a second, this is the beginning of Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. You know, and uh, Al John, I'm sorry, you were going to say something. Oh, no, I feel I feel like you're right. I mean, the committee situation, I, I feel that studios and record labels, media in general, they they are afraid to take chances which means yeah. which means that an artist or artists a group of artists have a singular vision they know exactly what they're going to do to carry out that vision it's their mission statement it is their goal it's unique it's individual you get directors and writers that are in a room this is their unique vision and then the studio comes around and then they start mingling and and, and yeah. doing different things it's that studio interference that distracts the overall vision of yeah. the film so that that by committee design committee by design they're afraid to fail because they yeah. they feel like oh now you know if 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 this isn't a bona fide hit uh it's gonna fall on its face it has to look like this it has to have this introduction like this and this musical thing like this so if we can cherry pick all these great things from these other classic works that made them yeah. unique we're gonna have something 
that won't fail. But of course it failed. Yeah. 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 Of course. You know, I, 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 I always point to uh, the nightmare before Christmas, Tim Burton's the nightmare before Christmas film, uh, which was done in uh, a where a rented warehouse in San Francisco and uh, had virtually no um, uh, executive uh, yeah. input into it. Uh, they, they wanted, they wanted so badly to, uh, get into bed with Tim Burton and make yeah. live action movies with Tim Burton that they were just sort of like, what could you go ahead and make that movie if it's going to make you happy? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, uh, and, and that's a film that 30 years on, uh, has become a bonafide holiday classic for people. And it's the gift that keeps on giving to the studio and to Tim. You know, it's funny, Dave, I don't know if you remember this, but Tim had that idea while he was still at Disney. Right, right. I remember yeah. going up to his office yep. and he was, hey, you guys want to show you? He, he had these little tiny miniatures and he was showing us the Nightmare Before Christmas, his concept for it. And at the time, his idea was that Jack Skellington was a like an out and out villain. And he was not funny. He was a villain. And he wanted to take over all the holidays. It wasn't just Christmas. It was all of them. <laughs> you know, so I thought, oh, my God, this is going to make this really cool kind of like horror film. Right. So when the film came out, you know, years, you know, of course, Tim left. Yeah. He didn't want to do it. And then it comes out. It's like, wait a minute. This guy's supposed to take over all the holidays. And I, I keep thinking it's going to be what Tim's original vision was. But the point is, Disney kind of gave up on it back then. Yeah. And then later on, they're like, oh, please, yeah, whatever you want to do, we'll, you know. But they left him alone. They left him and Henry right. directed it alone. And look what they came up with, you know. Yeah. And, and, and you know, uh, uh, you know, they didn't want to make that film when Tim was at the studio. And as Tim puts it, they fired him. Uh, and he went off. And when he became the hottest director in town after the success of the first Batman movie that he did, yeah. um you know, Jeffrey was falling over himself. Jeffrey Katzenberg was falling over himself to try and, you know, get in with Tim to have Tim do some movies for Disney. And, uh, and that was how essentially uh, nightmare got resurrected because Tim had always, it was such a personal film for him. Yeah. He wanted to do it. And he had his people inquire as to whether you know, the Disney owned it and could he get it so that he could do it? And they said, yes, we own it. But if you want to do it, come and do it here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but they really didn't give a hoot about the movie itself. No. And they didn't even know how to market it. When and, it was you know, finished. it honestly didn't, it, when it came out initially, it was not a big hit. No, it, it, was, it, it, did, it did. Okay. It did but okay, but it, it it wasn't a hit, and only did okay because they didn't know how to market. No, them. they didn't had, they had no idea what you know, they would. They, they decided they weren't going to put the Walt Disney name on it at the time. Right. Uh, they released it under the Touchstone banner right. uh, because they thought it might be too scary for their core Disney audience. Mm-hmm. And all these years later, uh, it's now Disney's. Tim Burton's Nightmare yeah. Before Christmas, yeah. right? Because yeah. they yeah. stripped t- Touchstone off of it, and it's released uh-huh. under the Disney name. So, yeah, uh, yeah it, it, it's it's interesting when you look at a film like that, and you look at um, Into the Spider Verse, and uh, when there's very little executive meddling, these films seem to do exceedingly well. Yeah, that should be a lesson. I mean, this, that should be a lesson to people. You hire the best people you can get. 
you know who's good. You hire them, and then you say, "Okay, go ahead and do you do you do what you do now. You pick your crew. You pick the art director. I trust this director. I trust this writer. You guys go ahead and do it. We'd like to see it every once in a while, just to see how it's going. But we're going to let you make your movie, and it's it doesn't it it, it always succeeds. It's always a, whether it's financially successful. It's usually a good movie. Look at yeah. uh, Iron Giant. Same thing. They didn't they didn't. I don't think they're on Brad's back constantly. It was a semi-low budget movie. They just yeah. kind of said, well, just, you know, you make it. Just do your and, thing. Just stay within this cost and you can do what you want, you know. And and, and Iron Giant's a great example of a, of a really good movie that Warner Brothers just didn't know how to market that exactly. film. Exactly. You know, but you, but, you, you but can that's barely find anything. That, about that's it. a revered animated film, yeah. uh, you know, in in the canon of animated uh, uh, films from the last, you know, 30, 40 years. You know, yeah. that one is in the, it, probably in the top 10. I agree. I told so when I saw it, I was like, this is like the best thing I've seen since like Peter Pan. I mean, it was you can go back all those years and I've never felt as excited about a movie as I did about Iron China. I was so pleasantly surprised at how good it was. You did know? you work on it? Did you do? I work? worked on the new version, the, uh, the signature edition, which Brad added three new sequences to, and I was working okay. with Ken Duncan. Okay. And so at Duncan, we did those three new sequences. So my name is on it. If you look at the, if you look at the, the signature DVD, my name's on that one, but I didn't, yeah, I didn't work on the main feature, but I did work when they did those three new sequences. That, that's awesome. So that was like an anniversary edition that was put out. On yeah. TV something TV. like that. I mean, and they decided to add yep. some new stuff into it. Yeah. To get Brad, Brad was like, cause I, I don't even know how it happened. It seems like kind of a miracle that they would let Brad add new scenes to it. Sequences well, they to took a, they did. took a page out of the playbook at Disney, you know, yeah. cause I, like when, you know, when they did the 10th anniversary DVD release of Lion King, they added in news from the underground. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. Uh, when they did the 10th anniversary of Pocahontas, the, you know, we we added in the uh, if I never knew you sequence, uh-huh. that uh, song that was cut out for the initial release yeah. was added yeah. back in. Yeah. So, I, you know, it's uh, it, it's a way to get the consumer to open up their wallet and say, oh, my gosh, I have uh-huh. to get this because it has a new scene in it or I a new sequence in it or whatever. <laughs> I mean, di- yeah, Disney's like. You know, the, you know, they're like you said, the consumer, they're probably thinking, well, we've already seen this. And he's just going, you ain't seen this one. <laughs> exactly. You haven't seen this one. Yeah. Why? It's, come, you just come and see. You'll see there's a, a surprise for you. Yeah. Yeah. So but, you know, I, I have to say uh, it, it is this sort of blend of films out there and it's kind of depressing. You know, uh, I, I I was it was so sad to see how poorly uh, Strange World did at the box office last Thanksgiving. And Al John and I have talked about this a number of times over the last six months. Uh, it, it's just absolutely um, it, it's heartbreaking. It's embarrassing. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you feel bad because we all know a ton of people who worked on, mm-hmm. on Strange World and it was a yeah. beautiful looking movie. Yeah. But, yeah. But it's an example of a movie made by committee and they're shoehorning a lot of things into it that, Mm -hmm. you know, an artist, a real director, a real artist, 
you know, might not have wanted that in because it right. wasn't part of the real story. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So well, maybe this maybe this gets them to change then. I mean, if if two or three more of these things come out and they don't do well, they're going to go, we, what do we got to do? We got to do something new, you know? Maybe it forces them to take a chance and say, you know what, maybe we will get, we'll just get a director and his pals in here and maybe just let them do what they do. Yeah. You know, it forces them well, to- you know, I, 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 Al John and I uh, talked about a story that was in the news. I think it was a couple months ago, Al John, if you remember, there was like 75 or 80 uh, uh, production people at Disney Animation who were looking to unionize. Mm-hmm. Yes. Remember that story? I do. And, and the number, it was crazy, Rick. It was like, I don't know, 83 production people. Like and PAs I thought, and stuff? Well, it was like PAs, production coordinators, production uh-huh. managers. Uh-huh. Production oh, right, support. right. Yeah. Like, And I, I looked at that number and I thought to myself, oh, my God, that yeah. that's more than there were artists yeah, back when we did Little Mermaid, oh, way more, and way Mouse more. Detective, yeah, and, way more. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the, you know, even I think Beauty and the Beast. I mean, I, no, it is. I you know, all of them. We might have had a hundred or so artists working on, but but to have you know whatever it was, eighty three or eighty five um, uh, production people, yeah. Uh, you know, I said to Al John, there is the problem right there. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're micromanaging a creative process. And, and while you're doing that, you're essentially smothering the creativity, uh-huh. you know, and I don't what? think, yeah. I don't think a lot of those folks are seeing that yeah. because they're the ones that have put that, that structure in place. Yeah. Well, they, they think it's essential to have, that many layers of production people. And you and I know, because we go back so far, when we started at Disney, there were two people who ran the entire animation department. Ed Hanson, no, 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 no. It was, well, it was Ed Hansen and Joanne. Then there was Don Hahn, who's the production manager. Yeah. Ron, Ron Rocher uh, was sort of the production coordinator. Yeah. And Joe Morris, who ran Morris, the, the, guy, the supply yeah. closet where yeah, you got yeah. pencils and paper. There were five people. That was it. There were five it. people that ran yeah. the entire Walt Department. Disney Animation Studios. Now, somebody would sit there and go, well, yeah, well, look at the films they were putting out back then. Well, you know what? The, the bottom line was, you know, they did Fox and the Hound that way. They did Mickey's uh-huh. Christmas Carol that yeah. way. All right. Yeah. Black Cauldron. Black Cauldron was a transition film. You know, yeah. there was a big management transition that happened. The film itself isn't as terrible as some people think it is. Right. Um, I would argue that people, you know, there, there's a bit of a cult following for the. Oh, Black it has Cauldron. a huge following. Yeah. I, I meet fans all the time I, when I do these yeah. appearances at Comic Cons. Yeah. You wouldn't believe how many fans that movie has. I'm like, right. wow. I was, I, I, I am, wow. And there's a lot of Oliver and Company. I mean, there's a lot of great amounts yeah. of the things that we didn't think much that they did a yeah. did great business. They have a huge following. Yeah. That you never but, know. You know. But, but I mean, even, even when we did The Little Mermaid, which was a huge success, you know, there was still a very small, yeah. you know, management team, if yeah, you will. Two, you can count yeah. on two hands. Less yeah, than 10, less than 10. exactly. You know, and I think, I think that's part of the issue. And this I think is part of the issue across the spectrum of entertainment 
when it comes to creative uh, endeavors. Uh, they seem to, when they're really successful, they they become a victim of their successes, you know, yeah. because everybody piles onto them. Yeah. Now, John, oh, they want agility. They want they want that style, but they don't understand that the bigger the success of the company is, the more bogged down in red tape it becomes. As you said, Dave, I mean that's just how it is. We want to be agile. We want to do these things. We want you to to be all DIY and punk rock, just like you did back in the day. We want less interference. We want more creativity. We want to foster that creativity. And then when it becomes so big, you know, yeah. uh, the biggest bands break up because money ruins everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> money, money changes everything. Yeah. You know, we we had our biggest biggest successes when we were kicked off the studio live oh, totally, into the warehouse on, on flower street. Yeah. Uh, and you know, out of that 1420 flower street warehouse building, you know, we, we did uh, the little mermaid. We did rescuers down under, we did beauty and the beast. We did Aladdin. We did lion King, mm-hmm. you know, and well, it, was a- it was after the success of lion King that they built the new animation building and uh and that's when really you can point to you can point to that moment yeah you know 94 94 95 when all of a sudden they started loading the place up you know at one point rick there were 32 vice presidents in uh in walt disney animation studios wow 32 vice presidents they should have had playing cards with their faces on them (laughs) whole deck of cards i remember when i remember when they were talking about the putting us oh we're gonna move you guys back on the lot and in a new building and i and i think all of us were like why we we don't want to go back to we we don't want to be with you guys we don't want to be with all the executives i mean we have a home now we're doing well. We don't, you're not, you can't just walk into the building so easily. You have to drive. We were happy to be where we were. I didn't, I had no desire to move back on the lot. And of course we weren't really back on the lot. We we're across the street. You know, we didn't yeah. move into our old animation building, which is kind of what we wanted. So, I, I, you know, and I, I thought it was really great that they wanted the artist's input on the design of the new building. It was, it was, it, it, it was, you know, a good gesture. Unfortunately, they didn't use any of the suggestions. Dude, I have a, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. I'll tell you a quick story. I was on the building committee. Okay? Yeah. There were two of us, uh, two of us animators. I forget who the other one was on the building committee. And I said, okay, you guys, they're asking us what we want. And I went around to everybody. I said, you guys, give me a list of what you want in your room. You want a, a roommate? You want to be by yourself? Do you want a window? All this stuff. You want your own computer? What do you want? Everyone wrote all this stuff down. I walk in the, I got a list of about 20 things, 15, 20 things. I go into the meeting with with, the, with Peter Schneider and all the, right. the architects and the built planning committee. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. And they're writing all this stuff down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I said, we all want, this is what the animators want. Okay, great. And they're writing all this stuff down. So a month or two goes by. We have a big meeting. They're going to show us the little model of what it's going to look like. So we go look at it. And there's not one thing that we asked for that we got, not <laughs> one. So we leave the meeting. I'm just like shell shocked. And these guys are, Rick, what's the matter with you? You're supposed to tell them. Blah. And they're like, dude, I told them everything we wanted. I gave a list and they were nodding and taking notes. They just ignored me. They yeah, I, I, thought, I, I thought that was one of the funniest things. Now, contrast that, by the way, when Walt Disney built the Burbank studio, he engaged Kem Weber 
the architect and industrial mm-hmm. designer. Yeah. And Kem Weber not only laid out the campus based on the flow of the Disney animation process, right? Right. Um, but they talked, he actually talked with the various uh, artists in different disciplines on designing their furniture. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as well as I do, the Kem Weber animation furniture yeah. is revered by oh, the yeah. artists because it was designed with the artist's input and Weber actually used their input to yeah. design those desks for each of the disciplines, whether it was animation, cleanup, um, layout, background. Yeah, the layout you know, desks, the story, layout desks, the story yeah, artists, all, all of it. Yeah, yeah, they're all a little different depending on what yeah. the and 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 they were they were sort of designed with those artists uh giving their input on the way things should be and and they actually listened to them yeah you know and that's that's the big difference and you know here we are you know um 90 plus years later uh or i guess it would be uh uh 80 80 plus years later uh you know that furniture is still functional yeah. You know, and I can attest to it because I'm sitting here talking to you at my 1939 Kem Weber desk. Yeah. You know, and, so. and, don't, and don't, don't be afraid to plug your, your Kem Weber book, which is amazing. It's, <laughs> it's just full of all that stuff. So I know, everything we've talked about, I can plug a book. I mean, we were talking I about know. Nightmare Before Christmas. My Nightmare Before Christmas book is coming yeah. out in September. Yeah. You know, <laughs> there we go. Yeah. there's a little, but, little Easter eggs in this whole discussion. I, I, I know, really. Yeah. It's terrible. Uh, <laughs> shameless plugs. It's hard. Yeah. Uh, so Rick, uh, where do you see animation going from here? I mean, well, you know, I, I, do you think there's going to be an upheaval, uh, at some point? Have we hit a saturation point with so many animated films coming out a year? Well, I think, I think we've got to be careful not to flood the market, of course, which is kind of what killed Disney animation in the nineties or early two thousands was, there's just so much there was, you know, instead of one film a year, it seems like there's three or four now. And it's, it's Ed Gombert once said, yeah, you had this story, story, brilliant story artist, Ed Gombert said, people just, this is a long time ago. He said, he said, people just do not have room in their lives for so much animation. They just don't care. You know, he said, they don't care that much about it. And it's just like, we're just, everyone's throwing all these films. It seems like every couple of weeks, a new film comes out. So I think, the saturation of too many films has hurt the specialness of an animated feature. I mean, the way it used to be was, you know, Disney put out a film every four years. So it was an event, you know, and I, 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 we're not going to go back to that, but I think we just have to be really careful no matter what the, the, the style is or the technique to not flood the market with mediocrity because people are just going to get tired of it and they go, I'm just going to stream stuff. I'm just going to watch my own stuff. I'm not going to go to a movie theater and pay, I can watch the stuff on streaming for free or whatever, you know, it's like, I just think it has to be less films, but better films. Yeah. And I, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think history, if, if you, you know, if you understand the history of a business uh, or an industry uh, you'll see uh, that sort of saturation point, because remember how, you know, during the sixties, they had so many Westerns that they yeah. put out and then Westerns fell out of favor. Yeah. 
right? And and right now there's articles starting to pop up. And Al John and I actually talked about this on a previous episode of Skull Rock Podcast about um, uh, superhero fatigue. Yeah. You know, because there's so many superhero movies coming out. Right. So are we in that sort of uh, cyclical phase where there's just so much of a genre out there? Yeah that the movie going public gets sick of it and mm-hmm. wants to move on to something else. It's historically, that's what happens. Yeah. No matter, no matter what the genre or the style or the, whatever's hot, whether it's disaster movies in the seventies, superhero yeah. movies now, just and plain old animation. Now. I mean, people just, they have a, a point where they've had enough. It isn't, they, they don't have to watch these things. You know, there's, it isn't like you, you know, it's like paying taxes. You have to do it. Yeah. No one's forced them to watch these movies. And if there's no interest, you know, you can't force someone to watch something if they don't want to. So I think it's and, and you know, the, the box office and the, the returns will tell the executives this isn't working anymore. We're going to think of something. Right. Else. And I think that's what you're starting to see with some of the some yeah. of the animated films that are just not doing the box office numbers that they should be doing. Right. That you would expect them to be doing. Right. But then all of a sudden something will come along. Like maybe, maybe it will be the new spider verse movie. Maybe that's what it'll be. All of a sudden, wow, it just does incredible business. And they're thinking, maybe we need to let the artists make their own movies. Maybe that we don't, maybe we don't know as much as we thought we did, whatever, but it's, it's going to have something, something big will start to cause a change. Yeah. Yeah. I think Rick, I think you nailed it, Rick. I think quality over quantity, but also just don't make a sucky movie. Focus yeah. on a really Can good you tell story. this movie doesn't. Yeah. I, I remember being on stuff. I'm not going to, there's a, it's, it's a fairly famous movie. And we had a lot of story problems with it. And I, and we were all, you know, I would be writing up notes and notes and notes every time we have a screening and turning them in and, and, uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, good point. But we don't have time to do, fix this. We, we already have a release date, and we just have to make the movie. Let's just start animating it. And that's yeah. what we did. And, of course, it came out and it did, eh, you know, not great. I'm like, well, all these problems that people saw in the finished product we knew about months ago. But we were so locked into make, making this movie by a certain time that we didn't have time to change the story, fix the story problems. And that's a problem with a lot of films I see. I like I'll see a film and I'll say, God, blah, all these things I didn't like. I'll talk to a story person. I said, yeah, we brought that up. We, so we told them a long, but we know they just, we, we, they just couldn't, they didn't have time to do it. So we just had to make the movie as it was. You know, I, I, I was going to just mention the fact that, um, you know, Disney really had a lock on uh, high quality animated features for 50, 60 years. Yeah. Uh, because, they only put a feature out every two years or so yeah. or three years. There were gaps between right. you know, the, the feature films that were coming out and, and there was a pent up demand to see the next Disney film. Right. You know, and I think all that changed, uh, you know, once DreamWorks opened uh, and then all the other studios started to jump into uh, the animation uh, business. 
mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and it became uh, competitive for talent. But then yeah. it was also a glut in the marketplace of yeah. all of these films because they're all trying to, you know, it, it, it's amazing to me when you look at some of these operations, like Netflix has like six or 700 people. The the last I heard Skydance animation had like 900 people on the payroll. Wow. And, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, boy, you know, where's, where's the product coming? You know, well, and, you know what happened? Are you getting revenue from the product? Well, what happened with Skydance, what happened with Skydance and you know, some, we have friends, both have friends there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they had, I don't know, their first film came out. I forget, even forget what it was, but it just didn't do the business. Next thing you know, people are starting to get laid off. I mean, they yeah. just, they put all their eggs in this one basket. Yeah. And it just kind of did so-so. And the next thing you know, they're, they're cutting. They're getting, you know, they're having to lay Yeah, but, off. you know, it, it's like, I, that's why I, I get a sense that there's a reckoning coming. Yeah. Uh, at, at some point, you know, and it's not, it's not Bambi the reckoning. It's not, right. a, it's not, it's not the Bambi slasher movie, right. but, but there is some sort of a reckoning that has to happen because you can't have that many people working at so many different studios because that is a huge nut to cover. Yeah. And if these films are not going out and, and appealing to the audience and bringing the revenue back in, I mean, right. you know, I hate to keep beating, beating a dead horse here by bringing up, um, strange world but you know they spent 180 or 200 million plus another 50 million in marketing on that film and for it to open up to 18 million uh and then disappear from the box office Uh holy man how how long can you keep doing that well before somebody screams uncle i'll tell you i'll tell you another something else i heard and that was at dreamworks jeffrey katzenberg yeah there's a lot this is when jeffrey was still there and there was a few films, you know, in production, but he t- told one production, he said, this is a good movie. He said, this is, I like it. He says, but this movie's not going to make $250 million and every film that comes out of here needs to make that. We need to make, we have to have every, we're in a position where we have to have every film be a gigantic hit. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to be, we're going to be done. And so what happened was, of course, he ended up having to sell the company after a while, but that's a lot of pressure to put on a little movie. You, oh, know, you have I, to be a blockbuster. You can't be okay, and we'll do another one. You've got to be huge, and that's a that's a tough thing to tough responsibility but, to put on people. But you know? but that but that's all the more reason why a lot of these studios have to look at their structure, the look at their operation, and really sit there and say. Why do we have all of these people here? Yeah. You know, what are these people doing? Because they're all drawing salaries and benefits, you know, and it it, it really is about a group of artists making a movie, you know, and, and if you leave them to their own devices, they will make a great movie. Yeah, it, it, we've seen it in the past, yep. you know, I mean, you, you, you look at the, the shoestring, uh, I think uh, the Little Mermaid. I remember Jeffrey said, "Not a penny more than seventeen million dollars." That was the budget on the Little Mermaid. Seventeen million dollars. Yeah. I mean that. That's like the you know that that's the you know uh, 
the party budget, the food budget, or, you know, yeah, yeah. I, 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 on some of these $200 million yeah. movies. I mean, exactly. it's, it, it's craziness. That's the rap party. Yeah. Yeah. But what, what do you see happening in the future? Cause I, I feel there's going to be a reckoning. I think there'll be a paring down because you can't, you know, the, the landscape and the distribution channels are shifting so much yeah. that you can't continue to make $200 million no, animated no, movies. No. No. You know, and, and not think, everybody's doing that. I mean, there's other there's there are companies out there that are doing films that are 80 hundred million dollar budgets. Mm-hmm. But but the big players, you know, 150, 180 million dollars. Yeah, you can't keep going that way. And then you have you have streaming and, and you know, there's this big course that writers are on strike right now about, you know, and, and rightly so about compensation for the streaming stuff. Because it's like, well, if things are going to be streamed, how much income does that bring in? If something gets a lot of hits, how do you equate that with making a lot of money? So I think it's going to have to get smaller. I think the budgets are going to have to be smaller. You have to be smarter. A lot of people are working remotely now. Maybe that needs to happen for a while. I mean, I've got, I can work at home. I can animate. I can do boards. I can do whatever you want here. I don't have to go into the studio. It's a drag not having, having a studio to go into and me seeing everybody. But I think financially, it kind of makes sense right now for that to happen. Yeah. If you get the budgets to a reasonable level and you don't have such high expectations for them to make mega bucks every time they come out, it, it'll come back. You know, it'll be it's going to be it'll it'll look different. It'll be a different system. But you can't have 80 production people on a feature film, you know, what who, I mean? who are now trying who are now trying to unionize. Yeah. Which is, you know, and that's going to hurt. The unionization is going to hurt everybody because now it's that adds to the budget. Now you get to pay for health and and unemployment and all. So now the budgets are going to go up, which they can't afford to do right now. You know. Yeah, I I actually had a big issue with the fact that uh, those folks were trying to unionize because they're trying to do it under uh, the Screen Cartoonist Guild. I know, and and that doesn't make sense to me. Well, it's how how do you have people who are managing your your guild members be in the same guild? They They need to be in the they need to be in the production guild you know, whatever but i don't think they belong in the animation guild i think right. they belong, if they can do it it should be under another uh umbrella yeah you know and, and by the way when, when did when did being a pa become a career that you would want to be in a union for well, I guess it right? is now. <laughs> because, because that's a that's a stepping stone position to break into the business. Yeah. And and, and that is sort of boot camp. When you're a PA, yeah. it's boot camp. And you know you that. Know? You yeah. Know that and you're going to work 60 hours a week and yeah. you're going to you're going to cut your teeth on, you know, uh, productions and you know, with the idea that you're moving up the ladder rather quickly. But yeah. but if you're going to be a PA for 5, 10, 15 years, there's something wrong that that's that that's like that's like people trying to, you know, unionize fast food restaurants because they want, you know, assembling hamburgers to be a career. Uh-huh. That's not a career. Yeah. You know, it never was. Those jobs were always for high school students. It's like it's like working in the mailroom. Remember when people yeah. at Disney you started in the mailroom, you know, yeah. you delivered mail. But that yeah. was no one did it for 20 years. Yeah. Our friend, our friend, Bernie Mattinson, who passed away a yeah. month or so ago, yeah. uh, he 
he started in the mailroom in yep. what was known as the traffic department. He, traffic, he, right? Yeah, right. traffic the, on, did, Disney, did, on the did Tuesday. Ride, ride these bicycles around. Yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. They they ride those fat tire bicycles yes. uh, around, and you never got uh, new ones. Yeah, and they would deliver mail to uh, you know uh, the offices and, yeah. and packages and whatnot, right. and that's where you always started. And you, started, you always you hear those know, stories. You get to know all the departments and where everybody was and yeah you always hear those stories a lot of these guys uh who are talent agents started in the william morris you know uh uh mailroom yep exactly exactly you know so uh but i i i do think there 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 is going to be a uh a a sort of uh pairing back and 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 a reckoning happening in the animation Mm -hmm. industry at some point yeah, I think, uh, I think, I think it has, has to. to. Be. Yeah, yeah, it has, has to be to. sort of a realignment. Yeah. I always felt that, you know, especially uh, at Disney Animation, you know, by the time I left, um, they really needed to do a, a, a top to bottom assessment uh, and, and really find out exactly what some of these people were doing. No, I no. mean, you, you, you know, a lot of these people are just in meetings day in and day out. And you're like, what, are you having meetings to schedule meetings? What's going on here? I think, yeah. You know? That's the, that's their language is to be in meetings. That's what they do. They like a lot of people like meetings, you know, Yeah, it's, but, but you know what, the, the, it's not productive and it's not no. putting, it's not putting the money on the screen. Yeah, exactly. You know, because you're, you're not servicing your audience. Right. You know, by by, you know, uh, not putting the majority of the budget on the screen. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, wasting a lot. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's crazy. So uh, what's uh, what's in store for you? Are you going to continue working in the business or are you uh, yeah, retire or what are you going to do? No, I you know, I just it's it's weird. I went and saw this uh, concert in Glendale. It's called it's called Wild Honey, this band they put together. And they do they do tributes to old old albums and stuff, and they have a lot of musicians from the '60s play, and and these guys are like 80, and they're and they're playing guitar, and I'm like, they just they're not they're just going to keep doing that, you know? Yeah. Who's, who's telling they can't do it? So I, I look at that, and I'm like, animation should be the same way, and I think it is if you want to keep doing it. I just I just love doing it. I can't imagine actually saying, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. It's too taxing. I'm drawing cartoons. I'm not, yeah. I'm not running. I'm not doing anything physical. So I just want to keep, I've been lucky to keep working. I, st- I want to teach. I maybe I'll, maybe I'll do a little more teaching, but I like the combination of teaching plus working. So uh, for the near future, that's what I, what I want to keep doing. Yeah. And are you, are you sensing at all? I, I, I know I've talked to a lot of our colleagues, a lot of friends of ours. Uh, some of them feel like they're getting frozen out. Uh, oh, yeah. They're too experienced. And, yeah. and so there's sort of like the phone isn't ringing for them. I, yeah. I, what do you think of that? And, and how do you, how do you counter that? I think that's a legitimate issue, a legitimate complaint, because that does happen. I haven't noticed it with myself. That doesn't mean it's not going to happen tomorrow or it hasn't happened. I maybe I didn't get a gig because oh, that guy's been around forever. You know, let's get this. And that happens, you know, but you just have to kind of believe in your talent. And there are, it also works in the other way where it's like, like this other job, I just uh, have sort of, sort of wrapped on for, for right now. But the fact that I have worked so long and I happen to have been part of a, 
particular project that this was based on made my stock go up. Like, oh my God, this guy was on that thing. Yeah. When I'm here because we want to figure out how he how they did that and his yeah. experience. So I it was kind of a plus for me that I had worked on something so long ago and I could bring that knowledge to this yeah. new project that was based on that. I'm trying so hard not to say what it is, but it's like I had I had some cachet. Just, just between the three of us. Yeah, nobody'll ever three nobody, nobody listens no to else, these podcasts. No one else will hear it until this this and, uh, until, show drops. Yeah, until I get a, <laughs> a thing from a lawyer. Yeah. Um and dear Mr. Farmer, though, we understand. Um let me spell my name right. Um, but I think in that case, I was my uh Stock went up a little because yeah. I, I can bring something to the table. Yeah. So you just have to kind of keep doing it. And as long as you I, continue to do good work, you know, and not, I, I don't ask for a lot of money. I mean, as yeah. like, you know, I want so much a week or whatever. I mean, I want to work with people and, you know, for what's fair, you know. Sure. No, and I, 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 I hear you on that. And, and I do believe that a lot of it is in, you know, what you project and your self-confidence and your right. comfort with your uh, uh, talent level and all of those things, you know, how you carry yourself and, and whatnot. Um, I, I do feel like uh, there are some folks out there that are intimidated by people who have a tremendous amount of experience. Mm -hmm. uh, because they, they just feel as though, well, maybe I'm going to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, shown up or, or, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, told that I don't know what I'm doing or whatever. Right. Uh, but I don't think that's really the case. I think most of the people we know, and most of the people that have been in the industry for a long time who are highly experienced, are are more uh, along the lines of um, uh, camaraderie and yeah. uh, lifting all boats and contributing yeah. however they want to contribute yeah. uh, and all in a positive way. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it, it, it will be interesting to see how the industry grows or contracts mm -hmm. uh, and unfolds in the next couple of years, because yeah. I do think that some of the players that are out there are eventually going to fold up what they're doing. Yeah. I agree. Uh, I, agree. Uh, I, I think they're going to say, well, we tried it. We put out five movies. We didn't make any money back on it. We lost a tremendous amount. We have to shut this down, mm -hmm. you know? And I, I do think that that may happen, Yeah, uh, but I don't see players like Disney going away. No. Uh, but I do see, I do see a, a major revamp happening. Mm -hmm. uh, which is what I think they have to do. You yeah, know, they, they, they really have to sort of turn the organization uh, on its head and, and do a new structure, you know, restructure it, bring in some fresh blood mm -hmm. and bring in some experienced blood, yeah. you know, uh, to, to write the ship, so to speak. I agree. You yeah. know, cause I do yeah. think that Disney animation has kind of lost their crown uh, oh, for as, sure. as, being, yeah. as being King of the Hill. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't think. Any, I don't think people can distinguish Disney from any anything else. Well, I think the Di Disney yeah. and Pixar movies are looking an awful lot alike. Yeah, well, I agree. Yeah. That, that's been my complaint for a while. Is that they look alike and they act alike. I mean, they that like I said, yeah. the stories are very similar, the themes are similar, the character designs are similar. You can't tell one from another. You know. Yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah, that's that can't go on. <laughs> that no. just can't continue, you know. But I, I think what's really exciting in the animation industry is what we talked about a little a little while ago is the like Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. I am yeah. so looking forward to seeing that. You know, I, I went to see Guardians of the Galaxy in IMAX and I saw an extended trailer for uh-huh. Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. And I mean it's just so visually yeah impactful and beautiful uh uh, and to see it on such a huge screen that way it's it's like a comic book come alive yeah uh and i absolutely uh enjoyed the heck out of it just seeing the trailer and i can't wait for the movie to release yeah and for people are for people our age to be excited about an animated film coming out yeah that says something because we've seen it all you know seen it all we've done it all and for us to be excited about something is it says a lot. I think. Oh, no, it absolutely does. When, when you can kind of wow your uh, colleagues, you know, because we're all jaded, you yes. know, for being in the industry for so long. But when you can wow uh, your colleagues with something, that's a good thing. Yeah, I agree. It I really agree. is. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right, Rick. We're bumping up against it. I got to okay. tell you, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. I know we're going to have you back again. I would love to come uh, back. And may, maybe maybe uh, towards the end of the year or the beginning of 24, we'll, we'll have you back on and we'll talk about all the shorts that are in competition. At oh, that great. Point. Okay. You know? I'd love to do that. Yeah. Uh, I think that would be a lot of fun. So yeah. with that, Rick, cool. I'm going to say thanks for being on the show. And... Uh, We'll see you again real soon right here on the Skull Rock Podcast. Sounds good. Thank you guys both. Your attention, please. (laughs) Now loading on track number one for a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock Podcast. All aboard. Your main street to the world of Disney. Once again, great to have Rick back on the show. And uh, Dave, it's just once again, you give him a topic and he just keeps going. And I love that. Oh, no, absolutely. Rick is terrific. And and it's great getting, uh, I think, uh, insights from from veterans uh, in in the business, you know, and talking about what's going on in in the animation industry and and also with all the films that are coming out. I'm firmly in the camp of getting the best people to to work, um, you know, do the job. And I think there needs to be a really great balance of these industry veterans like Rick working on projects in order to pass on their knowledge um, to up and coming filmmakers. Absolutely. uh, It's it's all about building on the shoulders of the previous generation. 100% and being open to that. And uh, I'm always open for those influences. And I, I hope the industry kind of wakes up a little bit and utilizes some of this great talent so that they can continue to build and make great, great stories. So uh, looking forward to having Rick back on the show. Anyway, gang. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, Rick is going to be one of those guests that, that just comes back periodically to chat with us. Yes. And talk about the state of animation from time to time. I love that. Yes. Um, once again, thank you so much for sticking us, uh, sticking to the very end of the show. We would really appreciate if you give us those five-star reviews. I can't tell you how important it is. Um, they're on Apple and Hopefully we'll get on YouTube soon, Dave. You know, YouTube emailed me about getting on their podcast platform. I don't, I don't know if you saw that, but uh, oh no, I did not see that. Yeah, and, and you know something? Maybe we should think about, um, uh, you know, doing a video version of the podcast. Absolutely. In, in the meantime, you know, I'm exploring uh, getting on the YouTube uh, platform because it's it's great. Google Podcast is great, but. Uh, 
having visibility on YouTube is another way for people to discover our content is always great. But another way that you can help us and have others discover our content is by leaving us those five star reviews and posting it and sharing the stuff uh, whenever you can to, to your family and friends. We do appreciate it. Uh, follow us on all the social platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. Dave and I are both on there. Uh, be sure to check out the show archive at SkullRockPodcast.com and send us those emails. We love to hear from you. Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com or Aljan at SkullRockPodcast.com. And uh, I quickly will give a plug for, for our voicemail. Uh, there in our show notes, there's a way for you to just hit click and once again, send us that voicemail from the comfort of your own phone. No other hookups are required. Uh, we'd love to hear your voice on this show asking us questions. We'd love to do that. Um, a little plug for me, uh, Dining at Disney Podcast. Please check that out. And also follow me on Instagram at Go. Dave, you got the final word. Well, Al John, you know, uh, you, you mentioned, you know, people sending us emails and all of that. I'd love to hear from our listeners as to whether they want to see us on YouTube. Yeah. You know, let us know. Do you, do you want to see our ugly mugs uh, on YouTube <laughs> or, or, you know, do you, uh, do you just like listening to us? Yeah. Uh, I'd be, I'd be really curious. In fact, what, what's interesting about YouTube and being able to see us, I have so much stuff I'd love to show people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I mean, I, I could, I could show you different things uh, visually uh, artwork and things I collect and all kinds of stuff that are Disney related. I mean, I could show you that on yeah. YouTube, which we can't do here on uh, the audio podcast. Yeah. So let it, let us know. Tell us what you think. Yeah, absolutely. I think it'd be great. Uh, let us know. And we'll put that question, pose that question to you in the podcast. So you can, you can fill out that form. If you listen to or subscribe to us on Spotify, just check out the poll. I'll put it in the poll. And you guys can vote over the next month and let us know if you want to see us on Facebook and do video podcasts uh, periodically. Uh, that'd be great. Or, or just do it all video, you know? There you go. So let, there you go. Let, let, let's figure it out. Absolutely, Dave. Go um, ahead. And, and with that, <clears throat> I am going up to Napa Valley to recuperate at a winery. Good for after you. After this very busy week <laughs> I've had. Uh, and I hope that you all go out and have a fantastic week. Be good to one another. And we'll see you next Monday right here on the Skull Rock Podcast. I'm Al John Go, co-host of the Disney List Podcast as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock Podcast, here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times. So they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money. Where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next Disney cruise, Disney park trip, Adventures by Disney? They can contact me at theme parks and cruises at gmail.com.